Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of series two of Digital Leaders Club podcast. Today's subject is a very relevant topic of discussion at the moment in which we are looking at digital and e-commerce in a post-pandemic world. We'll be discussing the subject with Caroline Cartelieri, who started her career working at Boston Consulting Group and McKinsey, leaving there to work in various companies as the UK MD of Expedia, the COO of MySpace, and until recently was the Chief Commercial Officer of Ennismall. As well as Caroline, we have Gabrielle Hayes, who is an e-commerce, marketing, and strategic management consultant, who has worked across various businesses such as The White Company, LK Bennett, Sweaty Betty, Moonpig, MacArthur Glenn, the list goes on. We hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to explore more of our podcasts on our website, www.digitalleadersclub.co.uk. Welcome back to our third episode for Series 2 of Digital Leaders Club podcast. Today we've got Caroline and Gabrielle. Um, Welcome both. Really excited to talk about digital and e-commerce in the post-pandemic world. Um, so I guess we'll get kick, uh, kicked off straight away. Um, where, would you, where would you think the, the, the quick wins are at the moment? Um, so if I'm a retail CEO who is starting at a huge cash hole that is likely to get worse, what could I do to get the maximum benefit for the minimum cost? So this, Caroline, uh, priority one should really be to get shoppers over the threshold of your store so you can start bringing in some revenue. Now, how do you get them there? You need to make them feel safe, right? You need to communicate to your database via email on a regular basis. Tell them what you're doing exactly, how they will be able to shop, what they can expect. Make it seem really easy. Like nobody wants to arrive and find that they have to queue in the rain. For example, tell them what the least busiest times are to come into your store. Offer them dedicated slots, you know, to people who require special assistance, for example, or for people with children. If it is indeed raining and there is a queue, why not get your store staff to hand out disposable ponchos or face masks or put up foldable chairs for elderly people? Now, Timpsons are now selling umbrellas to queues for neighboring retailers that end up outside their stores. Be creative in solving those problems that didn't exist three months ago, for all we know. And it's all about test and learn, test and learn, test and learn. Priority number two should be once the shoppers are in there, make sure that they actually feel welcome. This sounds easy, but service with a smile still goes a long way. I was in a butcher's recently where they wouldn't take my credit card because it was a system that they don't accept. They could have said that with a smile, but they said it with a real grouch, and I didn't go back there. I was just really annoyed. <laughs> so, you know, remind your colleagues to be kind, to be helpful, and to be smiley. And if something doesn't go right and things will go wrong, apologize. None of that costs any money, but it goes a long way to make your shoppers feel like they're actually welcome and not just some sort of disturbance to your staff. And then finally, you know, you need to advertise, you know. For example, you know, advertise uh, to reach people who are not on your database. That could be new customers um, with a creative that focuses on the shopping experience first. You know, the call to action can be to a page on your website that outlines what the customer can expect in the shopping experience or to a page that lets them schedule an appointment easily and quickly. And, you know, ad rates are really competitive right now. So this does not cost a lot of money, but it can get you some real uh, bang for your buck. 
That's great. And um, what digital technologies do you see most likely to take off in this post-pandemic world? Oh, I'll take this one. It's Gabrielle. Um, I mean, Caroline and I have talked a lot about this, and and I think any technology that really reduces the friction um, in the whole experience. First of all, technology that lets the, the the customer properly manage the experience um, have more control over it, and that's led by safety fears in the in the short term, uh, but in the long term, it is really about um, making the most of that that visit to the store. Um, in a way that, that really puts the customer in control. So that could be about booking time slots to get there. So there's booking technology that, that stores, a lot of stores have never even considered using it um, or have used it for a very specific concierge stylist service, but now should apply to visiting the store in general. Um, also, really being able to surface what inventory is in that store so that people know whether they should come there or not, whether it will be a wasted trip or not. Because remember, in the short term, they're thinking about, do I take public transport? Is it worth me going to the store? Um, what, and what am I going to find when I get there? So it's about it's about booking. It's about um, surfacing inventory on there. And then also, it, it's about um, payment and what Caroline already mentioned. Lots of people aren't using cash anymore. And it might be nice to say on the website whether cash is being taken in store or not. Um, and, and really being transparent about that. And finally, it's about using all of the platforms. It's not just email, it is text, it's WhatsApp, it's um, any other uh, Facebook, any other uh, social media or, or communication technology that you have on your database, obviously you've, you've gotten that information, GDPR compliant, that you can use to reach out and, and really put the customer in much more control and engage in a dialogue with you. And again, that means having live chat on your website or having somebody at the other end of the phone immediately. So if somebody wants to pick up the phone and call in advance of them coming, you've got that properly manned. And again, it goes back to what Caroline said, it's service with a smile. Fantastic. And what do you think will be the impact on loyalty programs? Um, for instance, how do you make them impactful and personalized, but also profitable and scalable? So I'll pick this one up again. You know, a lot of loyalty programs today still run on the basis of some version of RFM, maybe overlaid with some Axiom segments or something similar. But going forward, I don't think those segments will be valid anymore in many instances. Customers are likely to alter their behavior significantly depending on such aspects as whether they're shielding a vulnerable person, for example, or whether they're vulnerable themselves. And in addition, the pandemic will really impact on households' disposable income as and in when people either lose their jobs or are being furloughed. So I think these old segments will very quickly become meaningless. So a good loyalty program will create new segments according to criteria that are relevant post-pandemic. So, for example, some retailers, you know, like Marks and Spencer Food, for example, they might lose some customers that trade down to a discounter, but then they might gain those for whom convenience and proximity are really critical now, like parents who are homeschooling and can't leave their kids alone. So I think if you're running a loyalty program today, you need to think about what are the relevant markers, the relevant flags along you want to segment and then communicate alongside those segments. I think anything else is, is irrelevant now. And can I just add to what, what you said, Caroline, um, with regards to the criteria, the criteria being completely different. I mean, not entirely, but um, largely different. 
you think about those uh, being a member of a loyalty program can now also mean that you have priority booking, that you have um, access to the store in a way that that other people don't or at different hours or um, any kind of concierge service that VIP level is taken up a notch. And, and we saw with Ocado, um, members of its loyalty program, of its uh, Smart Pass program, got access to the queue. They, they, they queue jumped and nobody knew that that would be a benefit because nobody expected there to be queues. But the way that they used their loyalty program and conferred better um, better benefits because of being a part of it, you better believe that they're going to get a lot more people signed up to that loyalty program now so that when this happens again, and it will, um, they're better placed. That's great. And will there be an inbuilt advantage for established brands as shoppers cut down on dwell time and and just basically buy the brands they know and trust? Um, I'll jump in. I I think that certainly brands that they know and trust will, there will be a flight to to, uh, comfort, a flight to quality and a flight to um, recognizability. So who I know, who I trust, um, and I'm, I'm less willing to take a chance on brands I don't know, either because now I don't, I'm not going to be able to go into the store and try on their clothes and see how the fit is. Um, there's a higher chance I might need to return it. Or um, I really don't want to mess around with any unknowns right now. I just need to deal with the knowns. And so to that extent, the element of discoverability isn't going to be there as much. And that's a very short-term thing, I think. Uh, but I also think that brands will will uh, combat that by um, offering better ways to discover their products. So that's m- maybe with much more intense sampling programs or even with the resurgence of subscription services like Birchbox that let you try uh, new beauty brands um, into the home. You don't have to go out to get them. Great. And um, this is a huge talking point at the moment. I know a lot of marketeers who are actually furthering their own learning and development around sustainability, um, particularly in the e-commerce world. Um, but how do you trade off sustainability against COVID-19 concerns? So, for example, single-use packaging is on the rise again. Right through retail encourages more use of cars, for example. So, unfortunately, I think in the short term, we are likely to see a regression towards more disposable items like single-use packaging, Right. So already I'm seeing around where we are at the moment, a lot of disposable face masks are lying around the ground and you know littering the environment. And coffee shops are no longer allowed to refill your containers and they have to use the disposables again instead. But on the other hand, I think retailers and also hospitality businesses that genuinely care for the environment will find ways to mitigate this effect, right? So, you know, there are disposable coffee cups that are not coated with non-recyclable plastic. They don't look as nice, but they certainly exist, even if they may not be quite as functional or quite as pretty. Um, Some cities around the world, Munich being a case in point, have very quickly put in place so-called pop-up bicycle lanes to encourage people that don't want to use public transport anymore to switch to cleaner alternatives um, rather than using their own car. And the same applies to retailers, right? If you genuinely care, you will find innovative solutions that do not require a trade-off between sustainability and safety. It may not necessarily happen straight away tomorrow, but I think over time, especially the younger generation, will really prefer to shop from those retailers and brands that show that they care. I also think that this will drive more activity at the community levels in order to overcome the negative environmental impacts 
that this short-term negative regression will bring. So, for example, here and in the U.S., the farm-to-table vegetable and produce delivery service is really gaining popularity, and they are springing up where they didn't exist before. And I've seen the same now happen in London with a lot more local shops that source locally, sell locally, etc., given preference by, by shoppers. So, you know, in the short term, we may see a negative effect, but I think longer term, it'll actually work out to the better. I mean, this week we've seen a lot of non-essential retailers reopen. Um, from your perspective, what innovative solutions to social distancing have you seen been introduced this week and have been most impressed by? Um, Caroline and I were, were talking about this, and I, I mean, my, my feeling is that I've seen a real lack of innovation. So, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I think regaining people's trust and and really helping them manage their visit the, the most effective things that we've seen have been the the very um low tech high touch uh and and friendly um things so and little bits of creativity so Harrods actually has a, a cute video on their website that shows in very simple graphics how the new rules work and what you're going to expect when you get there. And and it's easy to follow. And so and that that's not a hard thing to do is to just get that in. And and then they take the opportunity opportunity to inject a little bit of humor in there. And then um I know that uh there are some some smaller shops. So in one shop they have a, a, before you go in, they have a pegboard of clothespins on it. And so when you, you take a clothespin to go in, and if there are no clothespins or pegs on the board, that means you can't go in because people replace the, the pegs when they come out. It's a very, you know, one in, one out service, but done with a tiny bit of creativity and flair. Um, and in the absence of, of a proper cue busting technology um, to, to put in place, it's a, it's a very low fidelity way to get the point across. And those are the kinds of things that we're seeing. Um, I haven't yet seen anything, you know, and you're seeing a bunch of tape on the floor, which which retailers have just had to put in place just by sheer necessity, um, which makes for a, a pretty sterile environment sometimes, I'd have to say. But uh, I, I've not seen anything super whiz-bang, high-tech high, high uh, innovation yet. Although I suspect we will. If this goes on any longer, we certainly will. Obviously, digital and e-commerce always changing. Um, and sometimes you could think it's quite hard to keep up with it at times. Um, and with COVID, that's brought about so many different changes and things to think about for the future. Um, with that in mind, which areas of expertise do you think will be most in demand over the next 12 months? Will it be logistics, comms, digital marketing? I think it's actually about building teams that are agile and that can react quickly. So you need people who are multi-skilled and willing to multitask. So you might have a comms person suddenly running your customer service because you never know what can happen, right? Somebody can be told they need to self-isolate because they were in contact with somebody who's tested positive or, you know, some region suddenly goes back under lockdown or something. So you need to have a really wide bench of team members who can fill each other's shoes. I think it's it's towards more generalists and fewer specialists. And then the other the one area that I think will be important will be CRM because you know lots of brands and retailers have been caught out by the fact that they don't have access to their customers if their stores are shut. 
and they've had a really low capture rate of emails in the past. So going forward, one thing that stores in particular need to emphasize is capturing contact details for people who visit this store but don't buy. So you know, brands that have invested in building a big prospect database can really sweat this asset now, but the smaller ones haven't really done that. So they need to think about how they can capture people's email in the GDPR and privacy compliant manner, obviously, so that if or when there is a wave two or another lockdown, they can contact those customers or potential customers and at least drive them towards their websites. Amazing. And I, I, oh, yeah, sorry, go sorry just to add to that too, I, I think you know your point about logistics and making sure that product can um, get to different places um, is uh, it's less that it has to be something that's ripped up and, and started fresh, but more that, that uh, I think there's going to be much more pressure on the supply chains to reflect that agility and to, and to be able to say, okay, let's, we know that we can move this, these, everything that's in this store that's just shut down, we can move it to a different place or we can put it into back into the DC so that it's not just left out in, in the store estate. And I think you also see the, the emergence of these micro warehousing so that you get product or even using stores as the micro warehouses to fulfill e-commerce orders where they weren't before. So it's about really making sure that the estate, if you have been a state, if you have retail stores, that they can be multi-purpose themselves. And the final question for both of you, um, have you both been out shopping to a non-essential store yet? Um, I mean, which one and what did you think the experience was like? So um, I'll, I'll pick the first one and I'll hand it over to Gabrielle. Uh, when the kids' clothing store in my local town opened up, um, I asked them if I could come in um, separately So, because one of my kids is in a vulnerable category. So they actually opened up for me two hours before the general opening to accommodate my concerns. It was truly personal service to be let in at eight o'clock in the morning uh, with the owner there personally. And I've been loyal to them ever since. I mean, that's just great service. So yeah, it was really good. And I, I've been out um, in both London and in uh, in. France actually London was was only it was not non-essential so it was just the the grocery stores which which again I think were were broadly social distancing but again not not as much as you would have thought and in France it's a real disconnect because here in France they have the bars and restaurants are open as of today or sorry as of earlier uh this month and they're very crowded. There's no social distancing. Um, you're sitting at a table next to other people, just like you used to, and you're at a bar getting drinks. And I think people are, are giving giving each other a little bit of space, but there's nothing strictly enforced. And then you go into a store. So I went into the Nike store, and you at, in every store you have the antiseptic gel that you can put on, and wearing a face mask is. Um, I know, Caroline, you said it's it's by law in Germany, but in France it's not, but it's by custom. So everyone's wearing one in the store and the stores say, we really want you to wear one. And then you follow guided routes in the store. So there's a one-way system. So you can't even properly browse. It's It feels very, very prescribed and um, hardly spontaneous at all. And And I've seen that happen in a few places. And at the Nespresso store, there was a queue to get in. And then you could only have one person go in at a time. And then you couldn't even choose your capsules 
you had to point and tell the store assistant what you wanted to choose. And it was just awful. It was just, it was, I thought, why on earth wouldn't I just go back home and order online? It was really, really, really bad. And in some places, the store associates were very um, apologetic about it. And so it made it a little bit easier. And in others, the associates were nothing more than just trying to police and enforce um, the rules, which really, it just, it struck me um, the wrong way, as you can hear in my tone. <laughs> I just, I, I, I think that this is, a, it's a really bad way to, to have a retail experience. Gabrielle, Caroline, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was a really interesting chat. Um, hopefully we'll catch you up soon and um, have a great weekend. Thank you, Jane. It was a pleasure.